The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you, Dr. Porcella. It's great to see a full house here on this Friday. Great to have visitors with us. Great to see uh, us back uh, in full swing. I was thinking this morning when I actually uh, realized that the calendar had flipped, uh, that it's October. And uh, you started in August and you've made it till October. We're doing great. Doing great. Um, Really uh, uh, pleased with how the year has begun and uh, grateful to all of you as students for your part in it. Uh, Was uh, uh, particularly uh, excited last week when we saw such a a good crowd come out to the garden party. Thanks all of you for making that event a special one. We always enjoy doing that. But here we are, entering into October, and uh, it's my pleasure uh, to uh, be in front of you for the first time since convocation and to begin uh, what is a series of chapel messages during my time with you uh, in this part of our life together, which is absolutely key to what we do here at the university. I have said it on many occasions, and every time that I visit with my colleagues from other institutions, whether secular or not, who do not have a chapel, um, there is a degree of envy because it is an opportunity for as many of us as possible to come together on a regular basis, and uh, it's a good thing, uh, and it is an integral part of your education and your experience at Cairn University. So let me encourage you to keep at it this year. Uh, last year, so many interruptions, uh, and I think one of the ones that was the most disappointing to me was the impact and interruption on the chapel program. So I'm very grateful for those that are working hard to make it a good one this year and would encourage you as students to stay engaged. And so those who are here in the room and those who are in 210 uh, in the overflow area, uh, greetings this morning as we begin what is a new series for me this semester, one that I'm entitling Some Things We May Have Forgotten, Reacquainting Ourselves with Key Biblical Truths. It's my hope that this semester, in the time that I have with you, I will zero in on a few things that I think uh, have serious implications for the way we think and live, not just in general, but particularly in the times in which we find ourselves. Uh, We've been talking quite a bit amongst the faculty and staff and the board of trustees and others across the institution about how the context has changed. It's changed quite a bit from 30 years ago or more when I came here as a student. It's changed quite a bit from uh, 26 or 27 years ago when I joined the faculty. It's changed quite a bit in the last 10 years, and I would argue that in the last five years and even less, the pace has picked up, the changes are more significant, the cultural things going on around us, the implications for us as Christians in living uh, not just life, but in serving the Lord Jesus in this world have gotten more complex and more complicated. There are more things vying for our attention. There are more ideas swirling around. There are more pernicious kinds of influences on our Christian minds than perhaps at any time in my lifetime. Having come to faith as a teenager, I can say that the ideas uh, that you are being bombarded with and the challenges that you have in maintaining your Christian faith and biblical worldview, your focus on the things that matter, it's much more complicated for you than it was for me. And so what I'd like to do this semester is to focus on a few things based upon my observations and my uh, outlook as uh, both uh, a graduate of this institution and uh, a social scientist to a certain degree is what's going on in the world around us and what things do we need to be thinking about. And so 
I would like to do that this semester. Some things we may have forgotten, reacquainting ourselves with key biblical truths, not necessarily to resolve all of the issues around those theologically, uh, or even in terms of all the texts that might refer to it, this morning being a great example, we're going to look at Genesis 1 and creation. I'm not going to answer all the questions. I'm not even going to touch time. I'm not going to discuss whether dinosaurs and human beings were on the earth together. Those are good questions, but they're not the questions I want to discuss this morning. What I want to discuss this morning is this biblical truth of creation and the implication for us in the way we think and live our lives and live out our Christian faith. So this series will touch on a number of issues, and today I want to begin with this, in the beginning, God, and talk about these issues, because there are biblical truths foundational to our faith and understanding, which we can take for granted. We give assent to them without actively thinking about the implications of those truths to how we think and live to the way we make judgments and evaluations or how they inform the choices that we make personally. You know how that goes, we're Christians, so we hold to these things. We have it in a mental three by five card or perhaps a literal three by five card or on your electronic, these are the things we believe as Christians. For those of you who come from confessional traditions, they're listed out for you. The things that we assume all Christians hold in common. But time and context has a way of affecting us to the point where we take certain things for granted. We don't think on them as often or as frequently as we should, and we certainly aren't mulling over and pondering and meditating on the implications of those truths for the way we live our lives. And that happens to us very easily because we're human. It's understandable, it's just not beneficial to us. There's a good reason for it in terms of how we navigate life in a complicated world, but it is not to our benefit. If we simply assume that because we are Christians, we are necessarily living according to the implications of our stated beliefs, we're not demonstrating biblical mindedness. We need to live according to the truths we believe. This institution states right up front in its mission statement that we want you to be educated to serve Christ as biblically-minded men and women. To be biblically-minded isn't just saying that you uh, give verbal assent to a set of statements. It means that you're thinking biblically about God yourselves and the world in which you live. And to do that requires a degree of intentionality and effort, even on the things that we take for granted or that we assume or we all hold in common. I think that creation and the biblical truth that God is maker and sustainer of all things is one such truth that we too often take for granted. We can too easily assume that because we're Christians, we have this one down. But do we live out our faith according to this truth? And so this morning, I'd like to talk about some of the implications of that truth and the way that it should be played out. We do sort of think, well, we're Christians and we believe in the Bible, so we necessarily believe in creation, but are we thinking about the implications of that? Are we living according to it? Are we making judgments about ourselves and this world and other human beings according to what we believe to be true regarding creation? Obviously, the issue of creation is important to us as Christians, and I would argue important to us 
with regard to our salvation. Because the Apostle Paul draws a line between these things. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in making his case for the preeminence of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, which is our one scripture, one university passage for the year, he shows it draws a direct line between our Savior and creation. Therefore, there is a direct line and a direct connection between creation, the Creator, and our salvation and discipleship. It would, be, it would be inconsistent on one level and incoherent, not integrated, not fully understanding the implications if we said, well, I'm all for Jesus and I'm all for faith in him as Savior, but this creation thing, that's something completely different. That's old story stuff. That's a narrative from the Old Testament. It doesn't have any implications. I don't have to hold to that to be a Christian. But Paul says that Jesus is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. In, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is a direct line drawn between creation and Jesus, between creation and our salvation. They are in, it, you need to understand the God who has made redemption and salvation possible through the sacrifice of his son as an atonement for our sins. That God is the creator and sustainer of all things. And Jesus is tied to that explicitly in the scripture. He is not separate from it. In fact, Paul makes Jesus integral to it. Creation, then, is essential to our biblical worldview. In it, there's much to learn about God ourselves and the world in which we live. And it also is a call to faith and humility and submission to God's authority. Now, I think when we talk about creation, and particularly we're going to look at the passage that Dr. Porcella read for us, I often find that there's really not an unwillingness on the part of people to talk about creation. Of course, I find people everywhere who want to talk about uh, the, the, the mode of creation or the timing of creation and the issue of old earth or the gap theory or the number of days or 24-hour days. I find no shortage of willingness to have that conversation. I find no shortage in people who want to have a conversation about the beauty of creation. And, and as an outdoors family, we're outside a lot. We enjoy nature and creation. We talk about it a lot. We enjoy the outdoors. We, we, we're moved emotionally and spiritually whenever we're outside. I find people want to talk about that. And I find that people are willing to talk about creation care. We're often willing and even eager to talk about creation in those terms, in terms of the beauty of nature or the importance of creation care. But the implications of creation go well beyond those things we prefer to talk about and speak to the way we view and think about ourselves, one another, and even God. <clears throat> this account in Genesis 1 is a powerful one. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. We begin with this assumption, there is a God who, has exi who exists eternally, and he's revealed himself to us in the scripture. And from this, everything else springs forth. We do not assume that God is a figment of our own imagination, or that somehow we created him to allow us to cope with the stress of life in a difficult world. God isn't patterned after our image, we're made in his image and likeness. And the Bible is very clear. In the beginning, God created all things. 
it places him not just in a position of preeminence and eternal being, it also says, from him and through him and to him are all things, as Paul declares at the end of Romans chapter 11. And so the creation narrative is an important one for us as Christians. It underscores the power and majesty and authority of God. This is something that we should celebrate. It's something for which he is to be worshipped. It's something for which he is to be revered. It doesn't make him a patriarchal tyrant. It makes him our father and the source and sustainer of all life. It's important for us to come to terms with the fact that this biblical truth of creation should at once put in us this sense of awe and inspire us and move us and also drive us to our knees in humble submission to this great God who made, who made and sustains all things. I chose to zero in on this particular portion of chapter 1 because I think it is a place where we could discuss the implications. There's lots of implications of creation that go beyond what I want to share with you this morning. And I would encourage you as you're, as you're studying in your courses these, these biblical truths that you be thinking about the implications of them for the way you think and the way you evaluate ideas and events and the way you, you make choices regarding your own time and energy and talents and commitments and convictions. It's important that you do so. Theology is, is critical. You have to be thinking about it. it. It's not separate from life in a practical world. It, it shapes the way we understand it and the way we interact with it. And so as you're studying these things in your Bible and theology courses, think about the implications of these truths for the way you live your life. But I want to zero in on the passage that Dr. Porcello read for us because I think in this is a good example where we can actually drill down and consider these implications in a specific way. As was read beginning in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him Male and female, he created them. I've often been struck by the, the, the Bible's account of the creation of humanity. Largely because as someone who has studied human psychology and social systems at the graduate level, conducted research and read all the theories, there is a tendency in the world in which we live to elevate humanity to a place that it doesn't deserve, largely because it's a discipline that overlooks the place that humanity does deserve as that which is made in the image and likeness of God. There is a tendency to want to talk about the animal kingdom in a way that elevates it to a position that it does not deserve because we refuse to give it the place that it does deserve as what God chose to do to populate this planet with life. We are here. We don't disagree about that. Well, some might say, how do I know that I'm really here? But I don't want to go there this morning. What we really want to do is deal with this. We're all here. Been in that class. If a tree falls in the wood, you know the, the whole thing, right? But we're all here. 
The question is, we don't all on, in this planet or in the academy or in our social structures and in our communities agree with how we got here or why we're here. But the Bible answers those questions for us. And it gives us something that is extremely powerful and important for us to understand. This passage that the Bible lays out here in the beginning about the creation of humanity has always struck me, particularly as someone studying in the social and behavioral sciences, because there's a very clear distinction between humanity and everything else that God created. When he says, let us make humankind in our image and likeness, it sets humankind apart from everything else. That's not said of anything else. It's not said of light and dark. It's not said of, of, of the mountains. It's not said of the water. It's not said of the plants or any creeping thing. Only humanity has this special moniker given to it that it is created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, it is distinct from the rest of creation. It is to be elevated. It is, it is to be it is to be looked at in a way that declares not just the, the creativity of God, but the very divine attributes of God and his character and his qualities. We are made in his image and likeness, different from all other things that are created. And the Bible records for us that we're even created in a different fashion, according to a different way. In Genesis 1, everything is created by God's voice. God speaks into existence every other element of creation. Humanity is formed with his own hands and has his life breathed into it. We are made in his image and likeness, and this is how we are to view humanity and one another. Very different from the rest of creation. Allow me to just sort of extrapolate a bit. God says, let there be light, and there is light. Let the mountains rise up and they rise up. Let the sea stop here and go no further. All of those things. Let the earth, let the waters teem with creatures. Let the earth be, be populated with plants. Let the creatures come forth. But with humanity, it's almost this picture that God stoops down and reaches into that dirt which he called into existence and shapes humankind and then breathes his life into it. The life of humanity is breathed into it by God himself. This should change the way we look at humanity. It doesn't mean, as we're going to talk about in a future message, we don't understand the impact of sin in the fall and that there is evil and it is manifest in humanity as much as anywhere else. That's not to be denied. But God made humankind in his image and likeness in a very intimate and powerfully intimate way. And that should affect our view of life, our view of human life. It means that when we look upon human creatures, human beings created in the image and likeness of God, we see something special. We see something in common. In our day, when so much is bent, built upon Identity and association, this is the thing that we hold in common. as you. We are made in God's image and likeness. There's no room for judging one another based upon who you are, where you came from, what your background is, or the color of your skin. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We do not judge human beings' worth on anything other than that, made in the image and likeness of God. That doesn't mean we don't deal with the issue of admonishment and exhortation and the reality of sin and the impact of it. But when we're talking about value and we're talking about worth, we do not 
look upon those external factors. We don't look for that issue of identity that comes from humankind. We look for the identity that we find in God. We are made in his image and likeness. How much would change in the world if we actually did that? If when we spoke to someone or disagreed with someone or needed to confront someone or were introduced to someone that we don't have a personal preference for, that we don't have a personal affinity, that we don't know from, but we, don't have no, we have no context, we automatically just look and see human beings made in the image and likeness of God. What would it do for us in terms of thinking about the issues of life? Image and likeness of God. It's a key factor in understanding humanity. And God did it by design and on purpose and with purpose. He sets humanity apart I also think it's important to understand that. The creation of humanity and the image and likeness of God is by design and with specific purpose. We're created to have dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, and to enjoy all that God has created for us. He says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. You know, when I was a student here, I had to write one of the first papers that I had to write when I came here was on what this passage meant, the image and likeness of God in humankind. Was it, was it the issue of soul and spirit? Was it emotional, volitional, intellectual? All those things that are part of those discussions. And all those things are part of a good, robust discussion about our anthropology and understanding our view of human, humankind in light of this passage. But God spells it out. He says, let us make mankind in our image and let them rule. God is the ruler of all. He has dominion over all things. And he created humankind on purpose and with a purpose. They were to be fruitful and multiply, to populate the earth and to exercise dominion over it, to care for it, yes, but also to have authority over it. In fact, in Genesis 2, we see Adam naming the animals. God gives Adam the authority to name the creatures that are brought to him, and by that name they would be called. Adam is vested in his, has vested in him authority by God who is the authority, and all of that exists prior to the fall. So, if we think about this, humankind made in the image and likeness of God, image bearers, we look at every human being through that lens as having value, worth, and dignity because we are made in the image and likeness of God. But also, then, what we do is when we look at what ails society, we don't find it that it's in the systems and structures and authority. Those things existed prior to the fall. They are corrupted by sin in the fall, but God has authority. He speaks things into existence, and he shapes humankind with his own hands, and he gives them a purpose on the earth, and now he says to them, go, be fruitful and multiply, and have dominion over the earth. We were made to work. We were working before the fall. In fact, Genesis 2 said God looked out and there was no one to work the earth, and so he created humankind in his image and likeness. We were given a purpose to do the work of God and to exercise dominion over the earth. 
God gives us the inclination and ability to mold and to shape and to form. Those of you who are in the room who are artists and athletes, you know this because you're creating things with your own hands and in your own minds and with your own bodies. Whether it's a piece of sculpture or a piece of art or a piece of, you're performing a piece of music or you're performing a, a, a maneuver on the courts or on the fields, you know you have that inclination and ability to mold and shape and form your world. We all do, whether you're an artist and an athlete or not. We, we, we arrange our food on our plate a particular way. We choose how we're going to dress. God gives us the inclination and ability to mold. That's found in him. It's not found in the, in the dignity and the, and the existential worth of a human being apart from God. All aesthetic endeavors are a manifestation of the divine image in humankind. All endeavors to order society and to create culture is a manifestation of the divine image in humankind. It isn't just the way we evaluate one another and the worth and dignity we assign to one another created in the image and likeness of God. It's looking at human institutions and structures and creativity and aesthetics and all those things that we do. We do not have art and music at this institution to prove to the world that we're as sophisticated as they are. We have art and music here because we are made in the image and likeness of a divine creator and we are given the inclination and ability to create. There's a theological reason behind it. It's not to impress anybody. It's to say this is what we do as human beings because we are made in the image and likeness of God. But there's something else here that I want you to think about with regard to the implication. By his design, he created human beings, male and female. This he does on purpose, according to his purpose. This he does by divine authority. This he does for our good. And he declares it to be very good. How could we as creatures then question the creator when he has spoken so definitively and so powerfully and so beautifully? The Bible's very clear. God says, so let us make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 2 gives us the account of the creation of, a of Eve from Adam's rib, and the two shall become one flesh. This is God's design. Marriage and maleness and femaleness are not a social construction created by our secular culture. It is sourced in the creation by Almighty God. By Almighty God. Human sexuality, even sexual pleasure, is sourced in the beautiful, powerful, authoritative creation of Almighty God. Distorted, perverted, twisted, manipulated, absolutely, sin in the fall's reach is extensive. But God made human beings, male and female, for one another by his design on purpose and for a purpose. When we're thinking about the implications of this world around us, it would tend to have us think that we get to decide, but we are made, all things are made by God who is almighty God. And every hymn that is written that reflects on creation isn't just about trees and leaves and streams and rocks. It's that this God who made those things is almighty all majestic, all powerful, all holy, all knowing, all loving, all gracious, all of that is tied up in it. He's God. And what he's created, he said, 
as Dr. Porcel read for us, he declared as good and then very good. We cannot allow the times in which we find ourselves tear at this most important key biblical truth. We can't say we care about creation when we're just talking about recycling in the environment. I get that. We can't think about it just in terms of those of you who don't mind bugs and don't mind sleeping outside. We have to get past it. There's more implication to this than that. It strikes at our very worldview and understanding of ourselves and one another and the world in which we live and even God himself. Years ago, uh, when I was uh, coming up and being discipled, I was um, teaching horsemanship and training horses and I was doing something in a lesson for certification where I was way over my head. And uh, the clinic instructor came to correct me and I did not take it well because I'm human. And I pushed back on his exhortations, which became a stronger admonition and then became a correction and then became a restriction where he sat me down and didn't let me continue the lesson. He was the authority in the arena. He was minding the safety of well-being of the students, and his conclusion was that I was in over my head and that I was jeopardizing the safety of the students that I was teaching. And he was right. But he pulled me aside and said, I know you have a problem with this, and I want to leave you with this one thing. The way in which you act and react toward earthly authority is probably indicative of the way you feel about heavenly authority. And it turned me inside out. Because I had been struggling spiritually, saw God as a great facilitator of my plans, goals, and abilities. But what creation tells us is that he's almighty God, creator and sustainer of life. And before him, we are to humbly submit ourselves. As we think about creation, about the beauty of it, but also the implications of it, we should be led to a posture of humility and submission to God, his son, Jesus Christ, who was before all things and in whom all things hold together. Don't think about creation as some abstract theology that you must give assent to as a Christian. Understand it to be an integral part of your faith and your worldview that it should shape the way you view other human beings. It should shape the way you view your time and purpose on this earth. And it should shape the way you view God as the Father of all, the maker and sustainer of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we indeed thank you for your goodness and grace to us and for your mercies which are new every morning. We thank you for the testimony that your creation is to your goodness, to your grace, to your mercy, to your loving kindness, to your majesty, to your power. We thank you for all these things. And Father, we ask for the grace to worship you as you ought to be worshiped, that we would think of you as our maker and sustainer, that we would see you as almighty God, that we would see ourselves and one another as creatures made in your image and likeness, and treat one another accordingly, and think about one another accordingly. Father, we thank you for this divine image which we bear, and we pray that we would be good stewards of the gifts and abilities, the inclinations that you give us to mold and to shape and to form. 
We pray that we would bring those into submission to you and to your holy word, that your spirit would be at work in us to do good works according to your good and right word. And Father, we pray for the grace to look to you as our Father and Creator, to worship you and to praise you, to show you love and appreciation for all that we have from you, for all that is sustained by you, and for all that you created for your glory. Most importantly, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. And we thank you for all, all that is ours in and through him. Especially, Father, we think of our redemption and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. Make us grateful this day. Give us what we need to reflect upon these truths in an honest way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great weekend.